Hello, hello, hello. This is Yarrow and welcome to an EJ podcast solo episode. I'm here today to take you back through all the different investments that I've made over the years with uh, predominantly the money that's been generated from my online businesses. So this is not really about my online businesses as much as it is about the money I've made from those businesses and what I've then done with it to grow my capital, to ensure my financial future, uh, and just you know have fun. Really, some of it is fun. It is fun to make investments. So I've done a range of things. I've actually got seven dot points that I want to go through with you in this audio. This is part of my solo series. So if you are concerned about the EJ podcast, no longer doing entrepreneur interviews. Don't worry, I still do entrepreneur interviews. And in fact, you would have seen many over the last few months have actually been increasing the number I've been publishing. But I've also been doing these solo episodes and I got some great feedback on the affiliate marketing one I did uh, a few episodes ago. And I also did a couple of other solo episodes before that. So I hope you enjoy them. I think this is a great topic. I'm going to dive straight in. Uh, Bear in mind, this is not necessarily something you should consider only if you have money to invest. That's Uh, like a huge amount of money. When I started investing, as you're going to hear, I really went in with uh, only, you know, a couple of thousand dollars. I really think you can start investing uh, as soon as you have any kind of capital, even if it's a few hundred dollars, you have opportunities to to grow that. And as I have learned uh, over the last few years, you really want to grow your capital base and make sure your money is working for you. And I think that's a great place to start this episode, which is my philosophy and my strategy behind investing uh, and where that came from. So I think one of the best places I can refer you to as an origin point for my own uh, assumptions, my own uh, beliefs about investing is a very simple book called The Richest Man in Babylon. Uh, It's a, a great book. It's a short book. It's one of those books that's a fable. So it's a story that also passes on education. My favorite types of books are books that do that. Uh, If you know me well, you know The Alchemist is one of my all-time favorite books, and that tells a great story, another fable by Apollo Coelho, you know, about enjoying the journey, not just the destination. And even some of the books I read about business, uh, you probably know Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That's a story as well with, you know, this Uh, young man telling the story about his two fathers, the academic traditional career path father versus the the business owner uh, father. And and those stories help you to learn and cement the ideas. So for me, the, the place where I really got a great starting point for investment knowledge is this book called The Richest Man in Babylon. And I strongly recommend you go grab it uh, listen to it on audio if you can find it or just read the, the print version. It's not too long, as I said. And just to give you a summary, it basically uh, takes you back to Babylonian times and explains uh, the story of, uh, yet again, a young man trying to uh, create wealth and some of the experiences he goes through and, of course, the mentoring he gets from uh, other successful, uh, basically, entrepreneurs and investors. And I'm not going to go over the whole book for you because I don't want to spoil it for you, but I'm going to tell you the main takeaway I took, which is a pretty obvious lesson. The book makes it very clear. And the idea is 
to save 10% of your money for your investments all the time. And that's 10% of your income. The way the book phrases it, it always put away 10% of your money for you and, and you're in your future, basically. Uh, the other kind of rule that it puts out there is the rule that you need to grow your income at least 10% a year as well. And then it shows you the power of compounding. Now, I think most people who went through uh, traditional schooling system will probably know about compounding because you learn about it in your math class. Uh, I didn't pay much attention to math. I hated that subject throughout my entire schooling and university years. But at least with compounding, I understood the principle. Uh, no, no pun intended there with, with these words I'm choosing. But the basic idea is seeing the power of compound interest over time. And that's why the richest man in Babylon tells you to try and get at least a 10% gain on your money every single year. And over time, you'll see how incredible your growth will be. If you wanna see that, just go on the internet, look for an investment calculator, just put in 10% interest and put in whatever amount of money you wanna start with and look at what that money is over 10 years, over 20 years, over 30 years. It really starts to get incredibly uh, massive when you start looking at you know, 20, 30 years, especially those last few years because you're dealing with such a large capital base, it, can, it, it jumps. So if you take these two basic ideas, save 10% of the money you make for investing and make sure that 10% goes into something where it grows 10%, where your money works for you. And what I loved about The Richest Man in Babylon is it talked about this idea of your money working for you without you doing anything. To me, that tied in so well, so well with the same philosophy that I was looking to build a business around. I wanted a business that would work without me needing to be there to do much. Ideally, only the activities I wanted to do to keep that business going, possibly no activities at all. Uh, one of my businesses was designed to function entirely without me. My current business is designed to function mostly without me, but give me the opportunity to do the jobs I like, like create this audio for you or write a blog post or do interviews or do teaching. Uh, but the basic idea was create machines that run for you. And the same principle applied with investing. Put your money into things that grow without you needing to do things. So I love that principle. And I was looking for types of income sources, in particular investment sources, that would do that. Now that's difficult uh, when you're getting started. I really feel when I look back at my younger days, how challenging that was, especially because I felt with a lack of capital, with no savings to begin with, it really felt like a slow process. You know, if you're, if you're working a job, um, I had a part-time job, and even during the first, oh, probably the first five, six, seven years of running my business, there wasn't a lot of saving going on. Most of my money was just going into keeping me afloat, really, because I was only making enough money to sort of cover my bills um, and also, you know, pay for rent, those sorts of things. And what was left over, I certainly did follow the 10% rule, but, you know, we're talking saving 10% of my $15,000 a year income when I had a part-time job is only $1,500. And, you know, that's, that's not a lot of money, depending, you know, where in the world you are. Certainly where I was growing up in Australia, it wasn't a lot of money. So I felt a little restricted on what I could do with uh, the amount of money I had. So my first goal with investing was actually to generate more cash, which is why I spent more time growing my business during the first 
oh, I don't know, 10, 15 years of my entrepreneurial slash adult life than I did really focusing on investing. However, I did and I do have a story to share with you about my first ever attempt at investing because I was actually given a loan or I shouldn't say a loan. I was actually given some money because I asked uh, from my father. So let, let's do this in order. This is number one of my investment stories to share with you. This is probably the one I recommend you don't copy, but I want to share it with you because it is part of my story. So this happened during the dot-com boom. The very first one, uh, I would guess it's around 1999. I can't give you the exact time, but I know that's when you know the dot-com boom was really pumping. I was 19, 18, 19 when this was happening in 1999. And I had no money to my name beyond the, a little bit of savings. I might have had one or two thousand dollars, if that. Um, I wasn't really looking to spend that money. You know, that was my emergency fund. That was my saving up for travel fund, and that was my pay for movies. You know, kind of whatever fund. So I didn't have money to put into anything. But the dot com boom was going on around me, and I'm just hearing story after story of people getting so much money uh, by investing in tech stocks. So uh, I wanted to get on board with that and I went to my father and said, can I uh, borrow or you know, get some money to put into the uh, stock market because there's, there's so much money being made right now. So I, I got caught up in the frenzy. Now my father uh, you know, is not uh, a stock investor. He's, he's done a little bit on the side, but it's never been something he focused on. So you know, he wasn't in a position to you know, really say yes or no uh, regarding doing that as a smart move or not a smart move. Uh, he was just there to encourage me to, you know, I guess take some risks. And he's, he gave me, I, think, I can't remember the exact amount. It was somewhere between three and 5,000 Australian dollars, which was a huge amount of money for me. And, you know, not a, an insignificant amount of money for my dad either. So he didn't give it to me lightly, but he, he did give me that as money to, to play with, I guess is the best way to put it. And that's what I did. So I went in, invested in, uh, I think maybe two stocks. Uh, both of them were tech stocks, uh, companies now that don't even exist anymore. I remember one of them was an online shopping mall, uh, some sort of attempt at an online shopping mall. So I put my money in and I did actually have a good result with one of my investments. I think I put $2,000 in and it actually grew to uh, $3,000. So I, I actually made 50% gain on that money, but then I lost it pretty much very quickly it was one of those you know wild times so i saw the money rise and then i saw the money disappear within the space of probably a year primarily because that dot-com bubble burst as we all know and i and i lost my money but i also lost my money for another uh, crazy reason it was the millennium bug uh, when the year 2000 crossover happened so for those of you who weren't alive, which is crazy to think about, but there may be some listeners who were not alive when the Millennium crossover happened from 1999 to 2000, there was this concern that computers were not prepared to switch their software over from 1999 to 2000 and it might cause a lot of crashes. So here I was, uh, New Year's Eve was about to happen uh, for 1999 uh, and I had some money in the stock market. My stockbroker, who was who I was actually buying uh, stocks through, wasn't electronically. I was using a broker, old school style. Um, he he was actually the one kind of pushing me. I, I kind of half blame him for me getting involved because he hyped it up for me and you know got me excited about investing in in the stock market. So he actually went off to Malaysia 
and was at a, a big airport party, some sort of rave at an airport uh, during the Millennium crossover. So he wasn't there to hold my hand <laughs> regarding this Millennium bug business. And I, I, I'll be honest, I freaked out and I actually sold all my stocks before the year 2000 crossover because I was afraid that everything would crash. And because you can't trade over that you know, New Year's uh, Day period, I, I decided to get out of the market. I made a little bit of money because I got out in a good time. And then the Millennium crossover happened and nothing bad happened. Stocks bumped up. I would have made uh, way more money. I'm looking at the data. I would have gone from about 5,000 to 20,000 if I stayed in the market. So there's one lesson, uh, you know, don't let irrational fear uh, take out your money. And uh, unfortunately, I then put my money back into the market after missing out on this big gain. And then the dot com, you know, burst happened after that. So to cut a long story short regarding this first exper experiment with investing in the stock market, I basically lost almost all that money and uh, the companies I invested in no longer exist. It was crazy times. One of them, the online shopping mall, it eventually merged with a mining company in Australia, which is a weird thing, the way mining companies were getting bought out or combining with tech companies because they wanted to diversify. I'm not sure. I didn't understand it. Long story short, lost all my money really got, uh, learned a lesson from there. And it was a long time before I did any more investing because I had to build up my own capital. I'd lost my dad's money. Um, I didn't have a lot of cash flow myself. So, you know, I was 18, 19 and that was it. So I think for the next well, probably five or six or seven years, I was all in on my business. And I, I kept kept saving money from what, what I could. And I, I stuck to that 10% rule. In fact, I really believe in, uh, well, I, maybe I, I'm good at this because I'm a bit of a minimalist, but I believe in saving more than 10% mostly because uh, I just don't have a lot of expenses in my life and I'm not you know, trying to always buy the latest car, you know, keeping up with the Joneses as the phrase goes. So having that somewhat minimalist lifestyle, I, I was able to save more than 10% because I just, you know, I don't have any kids, didn't have any kids then. Um, so, you know, I was living with my parents partially, my mom at one point. So there weren't a lot of costs involved. So I was able to put away a lot of my business revenue into my savings account, but we're not talking a huge amount of money. We're, you know, I think I remember I might say five to ten thousand a year at best, and I think after five years I might have had thirty-five thousand dollars saved up, uh, but that was it. Now, the good thing about having that thirty-five thousand dollars saved up was it did allow me to make my next investment. So I really don't call this uh, an investment so much as I was doing it for purely an investment. I was actually doing it because I needed a place to live. And what I'm talking about is buying my first property. So in my case, growing up, property investment was what I saw as how people gained wealth. Uh, my mother had bought a couple of properties. Uh, I'd seen her do this. I knew she was doing that as her plan for retirement. Uh, she didn't have, uh, she, well, she kept changing jobs throughout her life. So she wasn't exactly building up uh, an investment uh, superannuation, as it's called in Australia, from her jobs, although she had a little one. What she was planning on doing is you know, living off these properties. That was the plan. Plus, I'd seen uh, other people do this. I, I remember reading in the, there was a, a publication in Australia called the Business uh, Review Weekly Top 500 or Top 100 Wealthiest Australians. And it reported that about 80% of the people's wealth was made from property. So I, I saw property as a clear vehicle for wealth and I wanted to get my own place to live in. So it made sense to buy a place, which is what I did. So I bought a 
three-bedroom townhouse in Brisbane, Australia. And if you go into my blog archives at entrepreneurs-journey.com, you can see uh, around the year 2007, I published photographs of my car. I bought a brand new car as well as that townhouse. Uh, and that came about after uh, doing two things. I launched my first course and I sold my editing company, two stories I have talked about many, many times on my blog and in podcasts before, so I won't go over them now, but I was flush with a bit of extra cash. So I had my own savings of 35 grand-ish, plus I suddenly sold this business, so I got 100 grand coming in, uh, US dollars, which is a huge uh, you know, influx of cash, and I launched this course, so suddenly I was making an extra 10,000 a month in fairly consistent income, at least I was hoping it would be consistent for the next, uh, you know, probably 12 months as my members kept paying. So I was in a position to do some better investing. And the first thing I did was buy this townhouse. It cost me 335,000 Australian dollars. I remember it very well. And it was at the tail end of a bit of a property boom in Brisbane. So I actually uh, gained about 10% in value increase over the next year. Uh, I remember looking at the data before Brisbane's market went flat. So it turned out to be as I say this to you now, a reasonable investment, because you'll hear later on in my story, I did sell that property. But at the time, you know, it wasn't really a great investment because there was about five or six years of flat growth, but it gave me a place to live. So that's always a good thing, you know, putting money into a mortgage, a home loan instead of rent. And I did get a bit of capital gain, that 10% boost. Um, plus, you know, it was better to do that than put my money into other things. Like, you know, I bought a new car, probably wasn't a mistake in terms of investment wasn't too expensive. It was a $26,000 car, but you know, I could have bought a secondhand car instead. That might have been smarter. So that was my first uh, property investment. Now around this time as well, I started investing in virtual property. So this is my third investment experience. So first was the dot-com boom with stocks. Second was my own first property. Third was buying blogs and websites. Now this for me was a real strategy for increasing my income and increasing my capital. So I was well and truly uh, aware of this growing opportunity to invest in virtual real estate. And it was still something fairly new to do today, really new back then. Uh, back then, you know, Flippa, as we know today, Flippa.com, it's a website that lists sites for sale. There's, there's many others, but it's the most well-known one. It was just starting to boom. And I really took it seriously. So I bought, um, I bought a, a blog and I then bought another uh, set of forum sites. I also invested in uh, another uh, blog later on uh, that didn't do too well. And uh, again, I'm not gonna go through the specifics of what happened with my buying strategy because there's a complete training program on my blog on how to buy and sell websites where I tell this story and several stories. I have a, an ebook, a course on this. There's a video presentation, there's a bonus in there, lots of training. So head to my blog if you want to know about investing in blogs and websites. But I will tell you from an investment standpoint, it treated me really well. This was probably for me the first time where I felt like I made a really smart investment and it was cutting edge. Not many people were doing this. Um, and it felt, I won't say like it was easy money, but it was certainly, uh, it felt easier than any other investment I had done prior because I was buying virtual property. So I, I remember collectively I spent, I think about 20,000 Australian dollars uh, overall to buy my entire portfolio. And the end of that, that investment period, uh, at one point I had 2,000 
cash flow coming in, $2,000 every month was coming in collectively from the advertising income from this portfolio. And then when I sold it, if I think back correctly, I think I did more than double my money. Uh, I'm just gonna do the math. I know I sold one set for 25,000, another set for 25. Yeah, I did way more. I think I did about um, probably around $55,000 in uh, return. Uh, and this happened over a couple of years after buying this site. So I probably made around about collectively $100,000 on a $20,000 investment over a period of about three, three years. And that doesn't even include the 100,000 I made from selling my editing company as well. So that was another uh, you know, burst of capital that went into buying the house and the car. So I consider that a great strategy. I still think it's a great strategy today. It's more difficult today. You've got more competition. It's harder to find the good deals but they're there and if you do the research if you know how to you know practice your due diligence you can make good money buying and selling websites or just buying and holding them as a cash flow source uh, people back when i was doing it were buying niche websites collecting them up into a portfolio and selling them for millions of dollars um, ed dale sold uh, i think it was 26 niche websites for five million dollars they were making um, I think they were making about 50000 a month in revenue for him from advertising and he made $5 million in the sale. So it was a huge deal for him. So that's, uh, that was my initial kind of earlier days experience. Now, as we move forward, my capital is really starting to accumulate at this point. So, uh, you know, one thing I'm not going over here is my business is growing. I'm releasing more products. I'm starting to have years where I'm making uh, $200,000 a year and then $500,000 a year. And I've got a great profit margin, about 70% to 80% profit margin. So if you factor in 30% of my money going to tax as well, if I made half a million in one year, uh, I would have kept maybe 350 to maybe 400, maybe a little bit round about somewhere like that in terms of uh, net profit. And then you got to factor in 30% of that going to the Australian government. So I probably kept around a quarter of a million dollars of actual profit into my bank account for me to make use of. So that's when I started doing other uh, more investments. So I ended up buying another house, my, my dream apartment in Brisbane, and I turned my first townhouse into a, a rental property. So that became an income source. And um, I actually ended up buying another property. At one point I had three properties in Brisbane, two investment apartments in the apartment I lived in. Uh, and that was great, you know, good time. But I had a lot of debt. There was the there was mortgages there, and I poured all the money that I made in my business into my own apartment, which was uh, debt free. But the other two investments had debt on them, um, and that that you know was a good good property investment experience. I won't say it changed my life, but that was it felt safe and smart and what everyone else was doing. So going forward, uh, the next point I want to talk about is a little bit different. This is an opportunity that came to me, and this is something that could happen to you as well as you start uh, getting more involved in networking and meeting people doing similar things to you or just being involved with other online entrepreneurs. So I had a friend uh, who you might know, I've interviewed him a couple of times on my blog called Alboris Fala. And shortly after I started my blog, he actually started his blog. So around about the year 2000, I think around 2006, because I know that, or maybe 2005, because they just had their, their 12th, their 11th year birthday uh, as I record this. So he started a car blog called caradvice.com.au. Now I was living in Brisbane, he was living in Brisbane. It started off as a small blog, but it, it ramped up pretty quickly. And then he got uh, investors and a partner and they started getting employees and then they got a CEO 
and it became a huge company. Uh, today it's a uh, 20 to 30, I think it's about $30 million valuation. Last time I checked, they've got like 30 plus staff. And what happened, because I was friends with Alborz and I was uh, around him so much, I, I got to hear the story behind the scenes firsthand. Like every time we meet up for coffee, I'd be like, what happened with Car Advice this week or this month if I hadn't seen him in a while? And it was, it was always good news, so almost always good news, except for the 2008 financial crisis where they had a lot of income dry up from advertisers no longer spending money. That was a scary period, but every other time I spoke to him, the company was growing really quickly. And there were a couple of times where I had an opportunity to invest in the business because they were looking for investors, uh, seed investors to help the business grow. And I know I said no the first two times, um, mostly because I just didn't have the cash flow. I, I'd rather put the money into my mortgages. That was my mindset. So I was paying down my mortgages. Um, but by the time, the, th the third time, he said there's an opportunity to, again, uh, buy some investments, some stock in the, into this startup. I was like, you know what? I've got some spare cash. I'm going to do it. So uh, this, and th this was like 2000 and probably eight or nine, I think by now, maybe even later than that, might've been 2010. Um, so I decided to invest in uh, his company. I didn't buy much. I, I think my, at the time, my percentage ownership of the company was 0.78%. So less than 1% of the company. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it, it was obviously about growth over time. We all know that, you know, 0.78% of a company that sells for $100 million is, is actually several million dollars. So it's not a bad thing. Um, but uh, the point is, uh, well, not quite seven, not quite several million dollars. It's it's a good return on investment. Anyway, it's almost almost a million dollars. Anyway, I put some money in, and it's still in there. So I really can't tell you how well it's going to do. I do know the company has doubled in value, but it's also brought on more owners since then. And actually, the company has been sort of sold. Uh, half of it's been sold, and it's uh, well, it has been sold, but there's an agreement to buy the second half. So the current new owners will be they have an option basically to buy the second half after three years or not even an option i think they have to but it's a lot of it's based on performance on how much it sells for so i decided not to sell when the new owner bought uh, in fact that was last year uh, under the idea that in three years time um, it should be worth more and therefore I'll, I'll get a better return and i didn't need the money I, there's no i didn't have anything better to do with the money uh, personally at that time so I kept my money in there. So I don't know what that's going to return on investment. I feel like it's already doubled in value. We're talking five years now, six years since I did the investment. So it's not necessarily a hugely uh, good return on investment, but it could be, and it could be even better depending on how you know the growth is. Um, and that's exciting. I like the idea of sort of putting myself down as a, a seed investor in potentially a fairly well-known tech company. And it is a well-known tech company now. It's got a lot of coverage in Australia anyway as a, a large uh, independent car uh, website. So that was fun. Uh, and I, in fact, I, I've done a few more, um, I wouldn't call them seed investments, but pre-IPO investments in companies as well, which I'll talk about in a moment. So, okay, just to summarize, in case you have lost all the different investments, I had my failed dot-com bubble investments, uh, did not too bad buying and selling uh, blogs and websites and, and putting my money from those kind of things into my first property and then a couple of other uh, investment properties. And then most recently, uh, my investment in a tech startup, a car advice, a tech blog, basically, again, another blog. So I've very much been in the world of blogging and investing my money there. Uh, now we're heading into much more recent times now. So this is li literally the last three years for me. 
Um, I, I had way more capital. So, um, you know, I, I saved a lot of my business income. Um, I also had, uh, unfortunately, you know, deaths in the family. So my grandmother and mother passed away. So I got a bit of inheritance from that as well. So I've had more capital around. Uh, I want to be careful. I don't want to, I didn't want to uh, throw away my family money. Obviously, I wanted to, you know, keep that for my own potential uh, future retirement type situations. I want that to be protected money, but I also had business cash that I want to potentially do more fun things with was the best way to put it. And I, for me, fun things were looking for uh, opportunities to invest in, in uh, companies that were uh, in seed rounds, startups, essentially tech startups. And a few opportunities started to come up in the online space to do things. And there's two websites in particular that I came across over the last few years. One is called Angel List, which you, you might know of. It's become very well known in the startup world. Another one's called Equity Zen. Uh, we'll put the links for all of the sites I'm talking about with the show notes for this episode. And this is the fourth Yarrow solo episode. So if you are listening to this and you can't find the page that goes along with this podcast, maybe you've downloaded it on your phone, it'll be available through ejpodcast.com forward slash the number four just the number four, ejpodcast.com will take you to my podcast homepage as well. Yes, yeah, so Equity Zen is a basically a, a place that brings together people who want to invest in pre-IPO companies and uh, current shareholders who are usually the employees of these companies who'd like to get a bit of cash flow for their equity in these companies before IPO. So a lot of companies, it's difficult for employees to get their, uh, their equity out of a, a company until it floats. So as a way for them to free up cash, you know, maybe to buy a house, whatever they need the money for, they can go to a service like Equity Zen and say, I'd like to shale, sell uh, some of my shares in this company I work for. And then people like myself can join as an investor and we get to buy basically a, a share of a, a, a packet, a purchase packet of, of shares that are, are being offered in a company. So I bought into uh, Palantir, which you might know is a big um, company that's one of the biggest unicorns right now, actually, uh, a tech company. Peter Thiel is uh, the CEO, I believe, as I record this, who is well known from PayPal, being one of the founders of PayPal. Uh, it's a sort of a secret spy company. It does a lot of uh, research using big data uh, for the government and for other companies to, to give them really unique insight into data. Not a lot is known about them. They're quite secretive. Um, to be honest, I wish I didn't invest in them now, uh, looking back in hindsight, not from a financial point of view, but I've actually kind of started to be a little bit uh, more more discerning with where I put my money. And I, you know, I, def I don't want to be supporting a company that necessarily supports maybe military type operations. I don't even know, but I believe, you know, that could be the sort of thing it's being used for. So I'd rather invest in companies that I actually like and know what they do more so. And I have done that. Uh, in more recent years, where, as I've invested in things like Facebook and Amazon, I know what they do and I use those services myself. But I have invested in Palantir and I've looked to do another few investments. I, tr I tried to get into Stripe because I really, really love Stripe and I use it. And they were having a round in Equity Zen, but the Stripe round collapsed, unfortunately. So I never got into that because it never happened. So, so far, only Palantir has been my investment through Equity Zen. And that, that could turn to something great if Palantir floats and they have a huge valuation, uh, I can exit at that point. Uh, in fact, it's kind of a, a new area 
I don't even know how the equity, uh, how the exit process works yet. Uh, EquiZen, I'm not even sure if they had their first exit yet. It's such a new service. AngelList, kind of similar to EquiZen, but a little bit more of a social network. Uh, and it's really become a great service for people looking for jobs at startups. It's now a huge sort of recruitment website where uh, startups can find people to hire and people looking for work at startups can join their, their startup teams. But it's also a place where people like myself can invest in companies. And I'm not sure how I came across AngelList, but it, I know Tim Ferriss uh, has been a big influence there because he was one of the people I followed at AngelList and seeing what he invested in. And I, I actually joined his syndicate. Um, with AngelList, you can join syndicates, which means you go in and invest with the investments the leader of the syndicate does. So Tim is a leader of a syndicate there. I back his syndicate every time he makes investment in a, in a startup there, I put an investment in too. And it's not a lot of money. You can start with as little as I think 500 or maybe 5,000. I haven't checked their, their recent numbers. Uh, me personally, I started with a $5,000 investment in a, a little fund that they floated at one stage. AngelList had a, they called it like a health fund and it was 10, tech companies, well not tech companies, 10 health companies, very much tech related. Some of them were tech companies, uh, but they're all doing things with health. And I like that. It was the first ever fund by AngelList. I put 5,000 in, which is the minimum you could get in with that. And basically my $5,000 was a $500 investment in all those 10 companies. Uh, that was a number of years ago. So I've been able to look at my investment and it's really interesting because you can see, you know, one of the companies folded, one of the companies actually got bought out by Google and I had a, a double my money return. Unfortunately, double my money was, you know, $500 turning into $1,000. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm a millionaire, but it was pretty cool to see an, uh, an exit happen and, you know, see the money come back. I think the other six to eight companies, some of them, they're, they're still going, some have merged with other companies. Um, and then the idea is that's some point they'll either IPO or get bought out. And that's when you, you get some kind of potential financial return, just like Equity Zen. So I keep watching Equity Zen and AngelList, but so far they've been very, very minor uh, investment strategies for me. I think, as I said, Equity Zen, I put about $20,000 uh, into Palantir. AngelList, I had like that $5,000 investment. And then there was another... Um, I think another small investment I did of $5,000 into a, a Tim Ferriss recommended startup and that's it. So yeah, we're talking $30,000 there and you know, one day I might get a pleasant surprise from one of those two sites, but I do keep my eye on them still because if something like Stripe comes up again, I, I'd love to get involved with, with that kind of company. I also like AngelList because uh, I, I do potentially want to invest in even earlier stage startups. Uh, that's why I lived in San Francisco for three months. I was just seeing you know, what the scene was like there. And I may one day return there um, or even just do it virtually from a distance because uh, I love I love tech and I love uh, startups and it'd be great to be involved with a startup that I really like what they're doing and to put some of my money towards it. And from a financial standpoint, I've heard some incredible stories. I know Tim Ferriss has had multi-million dollar returns from you know a $20,000 investment in an early round in a company, a seed round. Uh, and I know uh, there's a number of other people, you know, they, they'll tell you that's how they make their big money. Um, I was reading the, a book about Uber and, and Airbnb, and it was incredible the, the returns that a twenty dollars to $50,000 investment can deliver uh, when a company has an Uber-like result, which is not common. We should be very clear about that. That's kind of like a bit of a getting, getting lucky situation. So, um, but it would, it's still a fun thing to do to be involved in the tech world. 
And uh, we're heading into the last two points here for you to wrap up this investment episode of the EJ podcast. So uh, you probably know this if you're at all involved with uh, my world and certainly the personal development space. Tony Robbins released a book. In fact, he's got two out now, but he released a book called Money Master the Game, which was a fairly thick book where he spent a lot of time researching and talking to some of the most successful financial people on the planet to demystify the world of investing for the average person, in particular pointing out how ridiculous it is that people invest in mutual funds in the United States because mutual funds just out, uh, underperform compared to really simple things like just investing in an index fund uh, in the stock market. So I, I went through Tony's book and it was eye-opening, a little bit tailored to Americans and coming from Australia and Canada for me, it wasn't 100% uh, relevant, but it was mostly relevant and I learned a lot. The biggest lesson for me was you will get, if you, if you want a long-term stable return on investment, put your money in an index. Uh, you're much more likely to do better there and get your 10% aggregate. Like this book, you know, written today versus The Richest Man in Babylon, which is a really old book, they both presented the same idea. 10% of your money compounding, if you can put 10% away and get 10% or more a year, you will become a wealthy person. You will become a millionaire given enough time. So Tony pointed that out and Tony's advisors, people like Warren Buffett, uh, they pointed out that you know the safest, simplest way is not to, to find a financial advisor in a mutual funds type situation because they're gonna siphon away a lot of your money in fees and they're incentivized to trade which means you lose more in fees. And it makes sense for them because they, they get money from doing that, but you don't. So I pulled, uh, in fact, my money was with a, uh, a similar type thing in Canada, my inheritance money from my grandmother. And I pulled that money out of that situation, uh, especially because of the advice Tony's book offered. I was like, why am I paying these fees? And I have no idea what my money is put into. You know, I get these reports, but I don't really know what's going on. So I pulled my money out. And I went looking for the sort of thing that uh, Tony Robbins and all of his, his wealthy people advised, which was some kind of index-based uh, portfolio. Not just one index fund, but a range of index fund in a portfolio uh, environment, in particular one with low fees. So um, I tried some of the resources Tony's book offered, but I didn't really get great options for, for Canada, which is where my, my money is now, my business is now. But I did uh, find a, a service that's basically got the same kind of ethos, which is called Wealth Simple. So I have a huge chunk of my what I would call long-term financial savings, my my retirement type money in Wealth Simple. Now Wealth Simple is a service I believe it's only for Canadians right now, but no doubt it will expand. Is basically a low-fee uh, investment portfolio that is very much based on that kind of ethos of putting money into uh, index type funds. Um, not doing a lot of trading and just uh, you know keeping things diversified and balanced for you so they do rebalance your fund according to the sort of principles that Tony's books talk about but it's all hands-off and it's all low fee and it's designed if it's designed for you to uh, have an attitude of keeping your money in it long term it's not a high volume trading account where you should be putting money in and out the great thing about it it is liquid I can pull money out at any point in time so if I need to use that money for a deposit on a house or some sort of family emergency, it's available to me, but ultimately it's meant to stay in there and you're meant to ride the waves. So keep your money in whether things are good or bad because on aggregate over time, you're gonna get that 10% plus 
growth. And they have a great graph and it you know, attempts to sort of extrapolate what you can expect in long-term uh, income from it. And my goal is to just keep putting my, uh, you know, kind of a, a regular amount of money. I've got it set up to put about $5,000 a month uh, into that over time. So it just slowly grows, uh, gets that 10% or greater growth every year and uh, turn into just a really stable, uh, reliable income source, kind of like my safety net is what I call it. Uh, now that contrasts really well with the other thing I've been doing more recently, which is investing in uh, stocks and cryptocurrencies. So let me give you a bit of background with that. I have been, this is my fun trading. This is really more speculative, more risky, but a lot more fun and something I look at on a daily basis. You know, Wealth Simple, I might check in once a month, see how it's doing. It, it's done pretty well, in fact, because it's been an up year this year, but I know it could be a down year. You know, as soon as the, the markets crash, it could go down, but overall it will just, you know, have a good aggregate growth curve like an index fund should. eToro craziness. So, well, the story behind eToro was I, uh, about three years ago, wanted to invest in Facebook. So, uh, for me, back in the, I guess, the post-dot-com bubble bursting, so in the early 2000s, after everything crashed, a few companies rose as really solid businesses, namely Amazon.com and eBay.com and then Google.com. And if you know the stats, if you invested in Amazon way back then, $1,000, it would be worth like $600,000 today. So it's an incredible return. In particular, I saw the rise of Google because... I was benefiting from Google. You know, my blog continues and certainly was in the early days driven by Google traffic. And when I saw them release their Google AdWords platform, I was like, this is a money making machine. This company is going to explode. Unfortunately, as I explained to you earlier, I didn't have the capital to invest back then or really the, the sense to invest back then in companies like Google. But today and, and the last sort of five years, I have had the capital. And when I saw Facebook was releasing an ad platform and, and then I started using it and then suddenly everyone started using it, I thought, wow, this is kind of similar to when Google released their ad platform. I want to get into Facebook now. I've got capital. I've got timing. You know, I've got uh, market intelligence in the sense that I'm involved with this company. I'm seeing what they're doing. I'm seeing the greater marketplace. Let's get in and sort of see if I can ride the wave similar to Google's rise. So... I went looking for a way to invest in Facebook and I came across this service called eToro, which is an online trading platform that actually does something kind of unique. They allow you to copy other traders. It's their, their unique specialty is copy trading. So you can invest in other investors on the platform if you want to, or you can just invest directly in stocks or currencies. Um, and uh, there's a few EFT type situations too, where you can you know invest in um, commodities. So. I, I bought Facebook to begin with, and then a little bit of Amazon, unfortunately a little bit of Twitter. Twitter, I bought at a really bad time for Twitter. I lost like 60% of my money, but it wasn't a lot. I only put 5,000 into Twitter. Um, and then I kind of sort of left it alone. I, I, I checked it maybe once a month, every two weeks. Um, I didn't really play around with it much, but I did sort of keep an eye on it, especially to see how Facebook was growing, to see if I was you know sort of proving my own point. And it has done well, Not it's still early days, but it's, uh, you know, it's done pretty well. And then uh, in the last sort of six months, this whole Bitcoin phenomenon has been really in, in my mind. Uh, I mean, Bitcoin's been around for longer than that, but for the last, I've seen it, I've known about it for a couple of years, but I started to really kind of pay attention to it, uh, especially because just this year, after living in Toronto last year, I met a friend named Amir 
who started talking to me about blockchain and cryptocurrencies, which in case you don't know, is kind of like the technology behind things. Uh, block, blockchain, is, blockchain is the technology behind Bitcoin, which is a, a, a currency with it's completely deregulated. There's no sort of ownership of it. And there's a new one, and this is what Amir, my friend in Toronto, told me about called Ethereum. So it's another cryptocurrency that was taking off really well. And in the case of fortuitous timing, at the start of 2017, eToro made Ethereum trading available. They already had Bitcoin, and I wasn't into Bitcoin yet, but they had Ethereum launch. And I decided, you know what, maybe Ethereum, based on what I'm learning about uh, uh, everything with Ethereum and everything with blockchain and cryptocurrencies, is potentially the next Bitcoin. So I'm going to jump in with some money, um, uh, sort of as a, a buy and hold. I wouldn't call it a, a long, long term. We're not talking my retirement, but I'm happy to put it in there for you know two or three or four years. And if it goes on a similar ride as Bitcoin, I can make a lot of money. And that, that we're talking you know 10x my money, which is kind of like my my strategy. I wouldn't call it a super sound strategy. My gamble is probably the better way to put it. Um, but I did that, and I, I started investing more frequently too. I started buying other companies, uh, Nintendo, and um, also uh, Shopify, which you probably know of. It's another uh, it's a Canadian company. But basically, companies that I know about and did a bit more research, as well as the the cryptocurrencies, and Ethereum's done really well. Uh, it, it is gambling, gambling though. It's very speculative, and the money I put into eToro, I kind of see as the money I'm prepared to lose. So it's never been nearly as big as the money I put into Wealth Simple. So it's more about gambling, but it's done incredibly well. I, I'm actually uh, more than double my money at the moment. I, I've turned about fifty thousand dollars into one hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars in the space of about six months, thanks to primarily Ethereum, and it's still going up. I'm still holding it. The strategy is still the same. It it could disappear overnight. It could go, you know, could return to back where I bought it, not level and stay there for a long time. Who knows? But I'm certainly enjoying the ride, and I'm I'm actually starting to learn a lot more about this world of stock trading. So that's been interesting to me. Um, but as you can see, there's like the more solid wealth, simple, long term, uh, low fee aggregate gains, 10% a year or, or better, kind of richest man in Babylon strategy. You know, versus these, let's ride the wave of a cryptocurrency, and yeah, you can double your money in the space of uh, six months, but you could also have your money in the space of six months too. So it's not a great, safe, long-term strategy. It's trying to play the market, and that's never the smart thing to do, as Tony Robbins' book taught me. So there's a mix there of fun investing, gambling, as they might call it, and then smarter, long-term, stable investing. Um, I bought a place in Toronto, again, another property, which I actually ended up selling a year later as I decided to continue traveling. I didn't want to live in Toronto, and I made a bit of a profit from that. And I've sold off most of my property in Australia. I only have one apartment still there. So I pretty much got most of my money in uh, either Wealthsimple or eToro, so stocks and long-term index funds, and uh, one property in Australia, and then uh, cash on hand, and also the last thing, which is my business. So I haven't really talked about this as an investment, but your business really is an investment. Obviously, it produces cash, and you can use that cash to reinvest in growth. And I've certainly been doing that in the last year or so, as I've been mostly reinvesting in hiring contractors to help me do more things with the business. And that has certainly helped and, and create a lot of freedom in my life, but also you know, helped to uh, take away things that were taking my time and allowing me to do other things, uh, but like creating new products, quicker, things like that. So I have to end this with that last point, which I think is also the first point in a lot of ways, because before I did any of this investing in other websites or properties or 
seed investing in startups or wealth simple with uh, index funds or more speculative stocks and currencies with eToro, none of that could have happened without me actually, first of all, growing and investing in my own business. So I want to kind of bookend all those other strategies with that idea that, you know, if you can get 10% or more growth out of your company, that's probably the best place to put your time early on. Once you've got spare capital, by all means, put it into your, your first property to live in. I think that's a smart idea. Um, look at long-term, you know, index type funds. I, I certainly think that advice I learned from Tony and all of his very wealthy, very smart uh, guides, it, it makes a lot of sense to me as well. Um, and you know, if you want to have some fun with, with fun trading, you know, set aside some money for that too, but really investing in your own business, growing your stable cash flow, that's way more important. You know, I, I really feel that that's enabled everything in my life. And I've seen people who, you know, right now would love to have got in on the Ethereum ride, for example, but they don't have the funds available to invest. So, you know, I really believe that opportunities to make money in things like tech startups or any kind of startup company as a seed investor, investing in, you know, whatever latest craze might be happening, like a cryptocurrency is right now, or a tech company when it was Google or before that, when it was Amazon or, or whatever other companies you're following, they only become options for you when you've got capital. And for me, capital comes from my own business, either from cash flow saved up or when you sell a business, as I did with my editing company, you know, I instantly, boom, $100,000 in my bank account, you know, which allowed me to buy a property, which then allowed me to buy other things. So you need to think about that. And, and that's why it makes sense to grow your business. You're listening to me right now. This is an entrepreneurship podcast. That's the first place to invest. Uh, and then you can decide how to invest the excess, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, I've always been a, a believer that you know you don't want to grow your business just for the sake of always growing your business. I think your business should be a tool to support your lifestyle, which is why my attitude has been, let's not put every single penny I make back into growth. Some people do that. Some people just want to go from you know your first dollar online to your first thousand dollars to your first hundred thousand, your first million, two million, five million, ten, twenty, and just keep riding higher, reinvesting every penny back in. For me, it's all about balance, freedom, lifestyle. So taking money out of my company and putting into other things that are less labor intensive and not investing every single penny into things like, you know, full-time employees or expensive development, whatever other things I could do. I'd rather have the, the kind of the balance and combination I have now. Okay. I'm going to call that the end of this podcast. I hope there's some nuggets of wisdom. If anything else, I hope it was just interesting to hear a bit of the background of how I've spent money, how I invested money over the years. For me, the biggest tip to take away to share with you from this is all the way back at the start, read The Richest Man in Babylon and follow that 10% advice. Save 10% of your money and make sure it goes out there and works for you to make 10% a year in growth at least. That is a very sound strategy. It makes so much sense. Go look at compound interest if you want to see how much sense it makes or how much dollars it makes. And uh, I wish you well in your own investing. Uh, once again, if you want to get all the show notes, all the links to go with this episode of the EJ Podcast, you can go to ejpodcast.com forward slash the number four. That's four. And that will take you to this episode. Or you can just Google my name, Yarrow, Y-A-R-O, and you'll find the Entrepreneur's Journey blog. And just click the podcast link and you'll find all my previous episodes. There's my previous solo episodes and over 100, 150 plus interviews with online entrepreneurs there as well. 
Thanks again for listening to the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. I'll talk to you again on the next episode. My name is Yarrow. Bye-bye.